Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you, so let's get to it. Ah, it's good to see you guys. Uh, This year has been insane. You know, we uh, we had many weeks where we didn't get to gather because of COVID, and then it decided to snow in Oklahoma, which... I'm not sure what's more surprising, that it snowed really big two weeks in a row or that the weathermen were right two weeks in a row. (laughs) But either way, I feel like Jesus is probably coming back pretty soon, so uh, you better listen up real good. No, I I was really excited to begin this Christmas series that we're doing uh, last week. We were going to talk about uh, peace, and uh, and this week as I was transitioning in and I was trying to prep, I thought maybe I could just preach the sermon that I had prepared for last week. And I, I really feel like the spirit was like, no, you don't, you don't get that easy, buddy. Uh, and, and as I was trying to think through what I could preach on, uh, I, was, I kept being drawn back to the gospel of Mark. And for those of you who are regulars at Ascent, you know we started in uh, Mark earlier in the year, and we've been kind of taking a break, and we're going to pick it back up at the beginning of the year. But I was constantly brought back to Mark chapter 8, which is the, the, the point in the gospel of Mark in which everything hinges on. Thank you. This is my light lady. Give it up for Christy. <laughs> I was like, I think I see something, and it's it Christy. Uh, this is the, the hinge point of the Gospel of Mark. And in this hinge point, we see that Mark is bringing everything together. And he's saying, this is the, the main thing you need to know. And the reason I chose to do this on Christmas uh, is because for a lot of us, we, we like to focus on baby Jesus because baby Jesus isn't very intimidating. But the reason we celebrate baby Jesus is because he grew up to be King Jesus, And the point of Jesus, the point of why we celebrate Jesus, the point of why we gather today, what makes the gospel good news is that Jesus was a man, but he was also God. He came in flesh. And this is what we celebrate at this time. And there's this important thing that we must understand as followers of Christ, and that is that we must follow Christ. And so this Christmas season, this week and next week, I really want us to focus on the idea that Christ comes so that we can become more like Christ. And this is a, uh, a very interesting text in which we get to see Peter, who is uh, our, our friend Peter, who always puts his foot in his mouth. Uh, Peter always makes me feel better about myself. He goes from having the correct answer about Jesus to being called Satan in a matter of three verses. I don't know if you guys have ever felt like that. It's like, man, I'm doing so awesome. And then like by three o'clock, you're like, wow, I just blew it. Uh, and this is what we have with Peter in this text as we jump into it. So I, I just I want us to center ourselves around this and... Uh, as we do, I, I want you to really consider throughout this whole, this text this week, my only goal really for today, I'm going to finish this sermon on Christmas Eve. My goal for today is to help you begin to identify, begin to seek with the Lord and ask God if you truly live a life in which you are following Jesus, a disciple, somebody who's disciplining yourself to follow Jesus, to become like Jesus, or if you're using Jesus to get you what you're concerned with. Do you have God's concerns? Do you have the mind of Christ? Are you pursuing the mind of Christ? Or are you hoping Christ helps you along with your own journey? And maybe you're here today and you're indifferent to Christ. You're here because somebody drug you here or because you're here to make somebody happy. And if that's you, I'm glad you're here also. We see people like that in this text as well. But anyway, at any rate, my, my goal is not to get you to do anything today. It's just simply to identify what is the point of Christmas and who is Jesus to me? Because as we jump in the text, that's what we see. Verse 27, it says, Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? 
They answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. And by the way, today, if if you were to ask, who do people say Jesus is, you'd get a whole bunch of different answers. In fact, if I were to say, everybody come up here and tell me who Jesus is, we'd probably have 16 different answers. But really the question that is most important and the question that I hope you really wrestle with this Christmas season is the next question that Jesus asked. Verse 29, he says, but you, but you, and he asked them, who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you? That's the question that is the most important question you can ever ask. There is no question greater than that question. And we all have to answer it. Whether we believe in Jesus or we don't believe in Jesus, we cannot deny that Jesus changed everything. His birth literally splits time. We look back on uh, everything in the world and there's a hinge point at Jesus Christ. So whether you are an atheist, whether you would follow a different religion, whether you would say Jesus is a good teacher or a prophet, or whether you say Jesus is the Savior and the Messiah of your life, you have to wrestle with the question of who do you say that I am? That Jesus asked his disciples and I believe he asked of us. So let's pray and then I'm going to jump into this text and we're going to look at that question. Father God, as I, I come to this text, I am overwhelmed uh, with a desire to see people know you. God, this time of year is, is always so difficult for me because I, I want people to experience you and to know you and to see your goodness. And I often feel like in my own soul, in my own heart, I'm fighting back against this consumerism that consumes me. It's so easy to think about what I want and what I need and what I don't have. And yet, Lord, in you, I have everything I could ever need. In you, Lord, there is fullness of joy. Lord, I pray that as we enter into that today, we would begin to experience that. I pray that for the first time today, somebody would truly become a disciple, a follower of you. Lord, that they would reorient their lives, not around human concerns, but around your concerns. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Verse 29, but you, who do you say that I am? And then it says this, Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And here's what's really interesting. Peter gets the right answer. Like, don't miss that. And the reason we know Peter gets the right answer is because Mark tells us at the beginning of the gospel, before he jumps into the story, at the very start of the gospel, he says, this is the story of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So we know Peter's got the right answer. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And then what Jesus does next, it makes no sense to me because he does this. He says, verse 30, and he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. Like, I'm like, Jesus, you didn't go to preacher school because that's, that's not how this works. Like we get people to say that Jesus is the Messiah and then we sign them up for baptism. We're excited that they're doing it. They're supposed to go out and proclaim it. And yet Jesus silences Peter. And and here's why I believe Jesus silences Peter. We're going to see it in the text. Because you can have the right answer and yet the, not truly live in the right way. In other words, I can, I can know something intellectually, but it not take root in the heart. I can, I, can, I can say the right things about Jesus and yet not fully understand the impact he has on my life. And we see that as we go on. Verse 31. Then he, he being Jesus, began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and rise after three days. Verse 32, he spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. (laughs) Isn't that great? You're the Messiah, which literally means king, the anointed one. 
And then Jesus says, okay, yeah. And then he begins to tell him what's going to happen. I'm, I'm, we're on the road right now. We're headed to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. I must die. I must be at the hands of, of the, the Roman authorities and the chief priests. And I'm going to die on a cross. And Peter, in his mind, is going, no, you're not supposed to do that. The Messiah is supposed to come and free us from Roman oppression. You're supposed to take over. And what Peter is thinking in his heart of hearts is, and I'm going to be a cabinet member in your kingdom. And Jesus says, no, that's not actually the way that it's going to work out. And so Peter looks at him and he rebukes Jesus. And God's really been messing with my heart this week on this. uh, Because there's been many times in my life where I wouldn't say I rebuked Jesus, but it was definitely not me trying to uh, submit my will to Jesus's will, but me trying to get Jesus to submit to my will. And then I'm frustrated when Jesus doesn't submit to my will. Uh, and I'm sure we can all experience something like that in our own lives. And basically, the, the way that we all kind of come to Christ is we begin with an indifference towards Christ. That's the way we're born. We're born with uh, Jesus is, has no impact on my life. He has no authority. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 tells us, I am dead to my sin, which means I give into the inclinations of my flesh. And that doesn't necessarily mean I'm a bad person. That just simply means I decide what is good and what is not good. I decide whether you get forgiveness or you don't get forgiveness. I decide what my sexuality is going to look like. I decide what my politics are going to look like. I am the one in charge deciding these things, and I'm giving in to the inclinations of my flesh for good and for bad. And then there becomes a stage, especially here in the Bible Belt, where we become aware of Jesus. In fact, in my own life, I, I can't remember a time in which I wasn't aware of Jesus. I grew up in a family that went to church. I think I was practically born in church. Uh, we, we were there on Wednesday and Sunday, and I knew all the right things about Jesus. But then there becomes this transition point where you have to decide if Jesus is going to be the king of your life or is he going to be a part of your life. And for Peter, he's a part of his life. For Peter, at this stage in the journey, Jesus is there to assist him in what he needs. And I just would, I would ask us all to be honest. Are we at that stage in our journey with Christ? Like Jesus, I want you to be the king so far as you help my life. And I'll be honest, we've all got areas in our lives where this is true of us. Or the next stage is this. We see this, verse 33. It says, but turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns but human concerns. And what I find really interesting about this text uh, is that in it, we, we do not see the good parts of Peter. So early church history would tell us that uh, the, the way the Gospel of Mark was written uh, was actually through the stories, the recollections of the Apostle Peter. Uh, it was at the end of his life. This is the first gospel written. In First Peter, we see Peter says, I'm, I'm going to sit down and make a written record of the things that have happened. In this culture, it was a very story-oriented culture. So Peter would uh, be the, telling these stories. The other apostles would be sharing these stories with the people, and they would tell the stories of Jesus, and the early church would share it with others. you got to remember, they didn't have uh, a literacy or a printing press, so most people didn't read. They would share these stories with one another. And yet Peter and the apostles, as they come to the near, nearing the end of their life, they understand that if this story is going to go forward, they have to sit down and write these things out. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, they would sit down and they would write these things out. And Peter, sitting with John Mark, uh, would write down the Gospel of Mark. And what's really interesting is Peter makes himself look really bad throughout the entire Gospel of Mark. In fact, the, the points in which, if I were Peter, that I would want my story told are the points Peter leaves out. 
So for instance, in the story of Jesus walking on the water, what we see in the other gospels is that Peter steps out of the boat. He's the one who has faith to take the steps and walk on water with Jesus. And if I'm Peter, I'm like, I'm putting that in my story, right? That's cool. That's something I did right. And yet if we look back just a couple chapters, Peter just completely skips over that. And I can just imagine as, as we're talking through this portion of the story with John Mark, Peter says, you know, I, I claimed to, that he, I told him that he was the Messiah and then he began to teach and then he rebuked me. If I'm John Mark, I'm going to go, wait, Peter, don't you want to mention, mention the part where he says, you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church. Don't you want to mention the part where in Matthew it says, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Don't you want to mention the good parts of this? And Peter says, no, I want to just leave that part out. And here's why, because Peter has this transition and this is, this is my entire heart for us today. And I, I just, I pray, I pray that you can understand this. Uh, and, and really, this is the beginning of, of knowing and, and entering into an authentic relationship with Jesus. Peter begins to realize that it's not about him, that Jesus is the center of his story, that the whole story has to be about Jesus. That, in other words, when he looks at his life, he has to look through the lenses of what Jesus wants, that it's God's concerns, not his concerns that matter. And what we find out about Peter Early church history also tells us that this guy uh, who makes a lot of mistakes along the way with his journey in Christ would one day be killed for his faith. And he was crucified upside down on a cross. And you say, why upside down? And, And history would tell us that he's crucified upside down because he asked to be crucified upside down because he said, I don't deserve to die in the same way my Savior died. What immense faith. From not being willing to be concerned or not wanting Jesus to be concerned with his concerns to, to the point of willing to obey Jesus to the point of death. This is where we must get, my friends. And it's not a, a journey that happens overnight. It's a journey in which we take one step at a time in following Jesus. And it's a good journey. I, before this service, I was sitting down with uh, Miss Cheryl Barco. She was praying and we prayed for uh, Muslims and Muslim territory who are coming to Christ and they have to be baptized uh, in, in secret places because if they're found out to be baptized, they, they, they'll be killed, literally killed. And yet in our culture of consumerism, Christmas is a great time to make a lot of money and to spend a little time with our family. And if the pastor says something we don't like, we'll just find a new church. The, the immense difference in what the early disciples went through and what the Muslims right now across the world go through to come to Christ and what we go through is truly heartbreaking. It's truly heartbreaking. This is, this is what's got my attention this week because we've got to be the kind of people who are going to orient our lives around Jesus Christ, orient ourselves around his concerns and not our concerns. This week I was sitting with uh, Lindsay Good and we were having a meeting and she was telling me about pastors who had private jets. And she said, I'm really struggling with that. And I said, me too. Uh, I need a private jet. No, I didn't say that. Uh, no. But so I, uh, I, I started, I went on a rant and I, I pulled up a video that uh, is, is a really famous video of these two mega church pastors who are, I mean, they're just, they're slimy. They're car salesmen and they have fully convinced themselves that what they're doing is right. And they're, they're basically, they're arguing for why they need a private jet. And uh, this one pastor is saying, you know, I can't do God's work when people keep bothering me and asking me for prayer on commercial airliners. 
which I'm like, you're a pastor. People come to you for prayer. You pray for them. You know, it's but whatever. Uh, and then th- this other pastor said he felt like God spoke to him while he was on his private jet. And he, and he said, uh, he said, I'm not going to mention his name, but you can find him. Uh, pastor, you need to have more faith. Are you, are you status, uh, satisfied with this jet that you have? And this pastor said, yeah, I'm satisfied with my jet. And he said, well, your faith is stagnating. And, and basically, he said what he felt like God was telling him was the big faith move he needed to have was to have a better private jet. If your pastor wants a better private jet, there's a problem. Because there shouldn't be any private jet to begin with. And yet this guy was so convinced that what faith was, was asking for God to give him more of what he wanted. Friends, Jesus comes and there's a new kingdom here, which means there is a new way of living Jesus did not come to give you more of what this consumeristic culture wanted you to have. Jesus came to introduce you into a new way of living. You you can't live in Jesus' way, in God's concerns, and at the same time, want all of the things that the world says you should want. And then we we pulled up another pastor, one of my uh, favorite pastors. His name is Francis Chan. And I I wanted to share this with him uh, to show him a good example of faith. Francis Chan uh, is another very rich pastor. And he got rich because he was a pastor in California of a church of about 2,000, 3,000 people in a very wealthy area. All these people uh, who make a ton of money were coming to his church. And he said he began to grow really frustrated that they weren't giving more to the kingdom of God. So he sat down and he prayed. He said, God, make me rich so I can give it all away. Which, what an awesome prayer, right? Like, if you're going to pray to be rich, pray that kind of prayer. And uh, he wrote a book called Crazy Love. It's a great book. I recommend you read it. Uh, But the book was one of the best-selling books in Christian history. It's massive. He made millions of dollars off of it. And what he did at the very beginning, he sat down and he set a salary for himself. And then he gave the rest of the money away. So each year, his family gets a little bit of money from the books, about $85,000 to $100,000, somewhere in that range. Uh, And then the rest of the money, millions of dollars, is funneled to giving it away for the poor. And, and Francis uh, was asked, he said, you know, aren't you concerned that if you give all this money away, you're not going to have anything at the end of your life? And he said, yes, that's the point of it. That's what we're supposed to be doing. I have to have faith that God's going to take care of me on his mission. And you see, it's very easy for us to see as we look at the megachurch pastor who wants faith for a private jet. And we look at the megachurch pastor who wants faith to give all of his money away to the poor. Which one is more aligned with God's concerns, isn't it? And yet in our own lives, it's not so clear often. In in, in our prayers, do we often find ourselves running to God when we just want help? Do we find ourselves running to God when we need something? Or do we find ourselves communing with the God of the universe? Do, Do your prayers look more like a conversation throughout the day with Jesus for guidance and help as you begin to live in his will and his ways? Or is it more, God, uh, I'm in a bind here and I need you to help me. Not that these prayers are bad, but these prayers cannot be the full diet. If they are, maybe it's possible we are kind of like Peter in this text. God, I want you to help me with my concerns, but I'm not really all that concerned with you. And the ways that you treat people. If, if you are Jesus-centered, you're going to treat people differently. This is why God's concerns uh, cannot be aligned with human concerns. Because if I am looking at people through the, the, line, the, the eyes of Jesus, my forgiveness of people changes completely. I am to forgive as Jesus forgave. I want that to sink in, especially in the holiday season. We're, we're confronted with a lot of people that we hold bitterness with. 
And I want you to, to really think about that. To forgive as Jesus forgave. How insane and wild that is. Romans tells us that Jesus died for his enemies. It says sometimes you'll die for a good person, but rarely will anybody ever die for their enemies. Got mothers and, and fathers in this room. I know you take a bullet for your kids, but would you take a bullet for the person who you hate? And yet Jesus Christ comes and on the cross, as people spit in his face with the power of God, he could demolish everything in a heartbeat. And yet he sits there and takes nine inch nails through his wrist and his feet and he suffocates on a cross for the very people who are killing him. He suffocates and dies on a cross for me, for me, for Blake Farley, who has sinned against a holy God. And yet I withhold forgiveness from people in my lives for far less sins. And yet if I'm going to submit myself to the will of Jesus, then I have to be willing to love people as Jesus loved people. Can I orient my life around that? Or am I often what I want to do when it's oriented around me is I pray, God, would you change them? Here's a good test for you. When you pray for people, are you praying for them or are you praying about them? There's a massive difference. You're praying for, for your spouse. Do you pray about them? God, change that hardened stone of a heart. <laughs> I would never pray that about my sweet wife, of course. Or do you pray for them? God, help, help me to see where I am wrong. God, would you bless them? Think about the person right now in your life who you can't stand. Would you be willing to pray that God would bless them in the way you wanted to be blessed? Man, that's difficult for me. I wish Jesus could have just said, tolerate your enemies. You know? I mean, I could do that. But doggone it, he said, I got to love my enemies. And he didn't just say it. This is what makes Christmas so important. He didn't just say it, did he? He came and he showed us. He did it. And it's easy for us to say, yeah, but he's God, Blake. Well, Philippians 2 tells me he didn't exploit his divinity. Meaning he came and he lived. He shows us what God is like, but he also shows us what it means to be human. Everything he did, he did by the power of the Spirit. The same Spirit, Paul tells me, lives within me. One of the most amazing verses in Luke chapter 2, it says Jesus grew up in maturity. In other words, Jesus had to learn things, which blows my mind. And I don't fully understand it, to be honest. Because I have a picture of Jesus as, as God, and yet... Jesus was as human as I am. He had fish stuck in his teeth. His breath stunk sometimes. He had to wash his feet. He was human. When he was hammering a nail, he, he hit his thumb and he bled. He was real. And he lived a life that was submitted to the will of God, a life in which he viewed God's concerns as more important than human concerns. And we see it climax all the way into the point of death. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he, said, he asked God, if there's any other way for this to happen, may it happen. But if not, your will, not thy will. Through the power of the Spirit, he lives that way. Friends, do, do, do you, is your life oriented around Jesus? That's the question this Christmas season. And I'm not asking for an answer. I'm asking you, meditate upon that as we go through these next couple of days. I heard a story uh, about a guy who, who really illustrated this. This is... A uh, story I've been thinking about a lot this week. He uh, retired pretty recently. He was a, a garbage truck driver. And uh, people noticed, he's a wonderful follower of Christ. 
Uh, people noticed how joyful he was all the time and how serious he took his job. Uh, you know, most people do not want to be a garbage disposal man their whole life. So a lot of people come in and out of the job and uh, everybody who would work with him would notice just how serious he took it. Uh, in fact, in, in his garbage truck every day, he had a quote from Martin Luther King Jr., we believe, uh, and, it, and it said that if your, your lot in life is to, to sweep the streets, then, then do it as if you're Michelangelo, Michelangelo painting art. In other words, do the best you can in, in everything that you have for the glory of God. And this guy took that so serious. He believed that he was doing everything for the glory of God, and he used his entire life to show the world that. He oriented his life around Jesus Christ. And people would ask him, they would say, why, why do you like this job so much? What in the world? Why do you have so much joy? Why do you take it so serious? Why won't you leave a piece of trash behind? We're just garbage men. And he said, because I get to be a part of God's grand mission. He said, you see the garbage? That to me is a, a symbol. It's a sign. It shows that things are broken in this world. And I get to be a part of the work God is doing to clean it up. I get to go and, and take the things that People once loved and treasured above all else, and they throw it in their trash can, and it ends up smushed and crushed in the back of my truck. Shows me that there has to be more to this life. And he'd go on, he'd, he'd tell people, he'd say, and every time I hear the crushing of the, the trash in the back, it reminds me of my Savior who was crushed for my sins, who was crushed for the brokenness so that there might be restoration in the world and restoration in me. And he said sometimes people would, would roll their eyes at him. You know, okay, whatever, buddy. But sometimes, sometimes, people would be so interested in what he was saying that they would want more. And he would invite these men into his church group, and eventually uh, he got to baptize tens and twenties of people over the course of his career. A garbage truck driver baptizing people. Why? Because he oriented his whole life around Jesus. He saw everything as God's concerns. When you look at your marriage, when, when you look at your job, when you look at your life, how much of it is spent just in your own concerns, and how much of it is spent saying, if Jesus were me, how would he think? How would he act? What would he do? And friends, the really good news is that we don't have to do it under our own power. What, what I'm preaching today is very hard. It's very difficult. And yet Jesus comes, and he lives the life I could not live. He dies the death I deserve to die. Why? Number one, so that I could have peace with God. So I, I don't have to worry about doing everything perfectly so that God loves me. God loves me. I am loved. As soon as I place my faith in Christ, I am forgiven. There is shalom. There's peace with God, which means I'm not just restored to okay. I'm restored to better than okay. I'm a child of God. I went from an enemy to a child. There's nothing that can pluck me out of his hand. I already have an A in the class. Now I get to go from that place forward and begin to live this life of following Jesus. And not only that, as I just mentioned, he gives me his spirit to empower me, to show me what the next step is. And it's not always a fun next step, but it's always there. And he always gives me the courage to take that step. I have the Holy Spirit of God living within me to take me, and I have the hope of the future. See, in Christ's resurrection, I get to see the first fruits of what is to come. I get to know that there's more than just this life. If there is just this life, then what I'm preaching to you today is foolish. You should not do what I'm saying if you believe that there's nothing beyond this life. But if you trust in Jesus and you trust that he is who he says he is and he did what he said he did, then you'd be foolish to live only for this life, which is what we're going to talk about on Christmas Eve. Friends, what I want to do right now, just if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. And each week I, I try to give you guys some space to say, God, what might you be saying to me through this message? And this week, I want to do the same. I want you to ask, God, what, what might you be saying to me through this message? And 
What I really want you to do, friends, is be honest with yourself. There's, there's absolutely no reason in which uh, lying to yourself would help. Just ask, am I living, am I living a life in which I am trying to align myself, I'm orienting myself around Jesus and his concerns, I want to have the mind of Christ, or am I, right now, I'm orienting myself around myself and praying that Jesus would help me. And this isn't perfection, because none of us are perfect, but it is a mindset in which I want to be Christ-like in all that I do. I want to follow after Christ. I want to I want to make decisions as Christ would make decisions, or am I kind of just living my own life and hoping Jesus helps me when he can? Right now, just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? And Jen, if you guys want to go ahead and come back up, I'm going to give us about 20 seconds to just explore this question. God, what are you saying to me? Father God, would you give us the courage to obey you in whatever you've asked us to do? Lord, for uh, those of us in the room who are followers of you, you constantly are showing us ways in which our, our thoughts and our hearts don't align with yours, in which our hearts and minds are more formed by culture than they are by you. Lord, would you... Help us see those things and through the power of the Holy Spirit begin to take steps to walk towards you, to become more like you in all of life. And Lord, I just, I pray that today you would begin to identify in people's hearts who maybe see Jesus as a good teacher or a good helper or having some good qualities, Lord, and they would begin to realize that truly Jesus came to be the Messiah, the King of their lives. Lord, in that you do not take partial submission, but you want full submission and surrender, which is scary. But God, I pray that today you would begin working on the hearts so that some of us could begin to lay down our, our crowns in our kingdom. And Lord, that we would trust in you fully and totally. Lord, I love you and I praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Friends, if you would, please stand. Let's sing to this king. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.